sound check. Joelle, are you there? Yes, good evening. All right, thank you, Joelle. Terry, sound check. Are you there? I am here and ready, sir. All right, coming in loud and clear. Speak a little louder, but you're coming in. Great. Steve, sound check. Are you there? Yes, sir. All right, we'll be ready to go in a second, guys. Thank you. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Good evening. Welcome to another evening of Dr. Cliff Burton Friends featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBCU athletics. We welcome you on this last Tuesday evening of Black History Month. And yes, March Madness is about to begin. I'm going to open up the mic. I'm going to ask my co-host tonight. The Hall of Famer from Fisk University, volleyball, and also basketball player, Miss Joelle Bowers. Tell everybody hello, Joelle. Yes, hello, everyone. All righty, coming all the way from the Music City. And this, coming from the New York, the Empire State. She's also a triple threat. She's also a Hall of Famer from Virginia Tech University, basketball player, former WME draftee, and yes, a scientist, none other. And Miss Terry Williams. Terry, tell everybody hello. Hello, everybody. All righty. It's always good to have you uh, on the show. And then we have another, this is his time of year, the basketball coach, the basketball analyst. And he's coming also from the Music City, Steve. Oh, Steve Wright. Hello, Steve. Good evening. Hello. Good evening, everyone. How's everybody doing this evening? <laughs> All right, Steve. I also want to say welcome on behalf of my co host they have off tonight, and that is none other than Chi-Town's finest, Dr. Marlo Kemp, and also the Motor City Miracle, we call him, Mr. Jim Waddell. All righty. So here we go. We're in the middle end of Black History Month, but we can't leave some people out in history. So Louis H. Lattimore. Oh, boy. Mr. Louis H. Lattimore was born September 4th, 1848, and he died December 11th, 1928 an African-American inventor and a patent draftsman. His inventions included an evaporative air conditioner, improved process for manufacturing carbon filaments for the light bulbs, and improved toilet system for railroad cars. In 1844, he joined the Edison Electric Light Company where he worked as a craftsman. His innovation in design of the carbon filaments which were used in incandescent light bulbs significantly improved the bulb's efficiency and made it more practical for everyday use. His contributions to the lighting industry helped make electric lighting more accessible and more affordable. Now, why Thomas Edison, often credited with inventing the practical incandescent light bulb, Lattimore's contributions to development were invaluable, and he played a crucial role in advancing this technology. So, I'm going to ask one of our scientists, Joel, tell us what do you think about Mr. Lewis. Lattimore. Yeah. Yes, yes. Well, remembering one of our great inventors, he was born in 1848. So understanding this and when he invented um, the incandescent electric light bulb, he brought light 
unto the world and next one of his greatest scientific inventions was the evaporated air conditioner we still love air conditioning <laughs> to this day yes, yes. And so I just want my hats off to him as an inventor. And the other thing I want to say was that he began um, his patent and stuff. He lived until he was 80 years old and he was born in Chelsea, uh, Massachusetts, but he died in New York. So he did have to relocate and travel to do some of these things and pass. But always remembering him and then you can go to his inventions museum. Also, they have steam bingo which are cards that we can place where they bring face-to-face -face our Black history, most illustrious icons. And Mr. Lewis Lattimore is one of them. So with that, right. thank you. All righty. Thank you, Mr. Well. All righty. We have another great one in history. We can't leave this month without Mr. Booker Talaferro, Washington, born April 5th, 1856, when he died November 14th. 1915. He was an American educator, author, orator, and between 1890 and 1915, he was the primary leader in the African-American community and of the contemporary Black elite. Yep, he was born in slavery April 5th, 1856 in uh, Hillsford, Virginia, but was freed when U.S. troops reached the area during the Civil War. He did so much more, but I want you to tell me, what do you think about him, Terry, Mr. Booker T. Washington? I mean, what a phenomenal individual when we discuss, well, the language of the children these days is talking about he is him. Well, Booker T. Washington back in the day for about 25 years was the voice of African-Americans living in the United States or what was then, um, you know, some of the colonized portions of the United States. He was definitely him. And, you know, we know some things about him, most of which... I think most famously was he founded the institute now known as T Tuskegee University. But mm -hmm. there's some other things that he was involved with that many people might not know. For example, um, he was the first African-American on the postage stamp. I don't know if many people know that. And he was an advisor as an African-American. He was certainly recognized at the highest levels, the presidential levels. And he was an advisor to several presidents. So, you know, you just can't speak enough positive things about this man who essentially was before his time. Oh, yeah. Booker T. Washington. Thank you, Terry. All righty. Now, a living legend in this past century, uh, no one has changed the face through television and influenced history more than this young lady. Her name is Miss Oprah Winfrey, okay? Uh, born January 29th, 1959, and is an American, was an American talk show host, television producer, actress, author, and media proprietor. She's best known for a talk show, The Oprah Winfrey Show. It was broadcast in Chicago, and it ran in national syndication for 25 years, from 1986 to 2011. She was dubbed the queen of all media, and she was once the richest African-American of the 20th century. And she was also one of the world's only black billionaires uh, by 2007. She's one of the most influential women of all time and also influenced politics as she supported our first African-American president, Barack Obama. Steve, uh, I don't even know where we start here. Oprah Winfrey, Steve, yeah. <laughs> well, 
seems a Nashvilleian, so you know that's a good start. But um, I remember when she first started here, working at uh, which is CBS affiliate Channel Five uh, on a show there, and then she just kept going and kept going. And when she eventually got to Chicago, she um, was doing her thing, and then she started getting bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, you know. Like you said, that 25-year uh, career she had with her own television show. And um, she was a graduate of Tennessee State University. Uh, her father, uh, this is going to be funny, but her father, who passed away, I think it was last year, two years ago, well, she actually came to town and got uh, all of his friends together and they just got together and had a good time because uh, she knew that, you know, he was sick and he wouldn't, you know, didn't have too much long. And I think he actually passed a couple of uh, days later. But it's funny, I actually worked with Oprah's stepmother <laughs> at wow. one of the schools I was working with. Her father had remarried and... Uh, 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 his wife and I worked at the same school. I got to meet him. He was a nice man. But Oprah is somebody that um, who took that one influence she got. And you, it, it, it's amazing how a person can hear something or read something and it changes their, li their life mm -hmm. like Oprah did and the influence that the color purple had on her life and how it pushed her forward and Maya Angelou, how everything pushed her forward. And she was, she was, uh, she worked hard. She grinded and she worked hard and she got everything she deserved. And, uh, you know, she's still doing a lot. So, you know, she's got Harpo yeah. uh, production. So she's still doing a whole lot. Yeah. Thank you so much, Steve. Uh, I'm going to go to one more. You can't leave this out when you talk about the advancement of African-Americans and you talk about civil rights, civil rights, uh, that is none other than Miss Fannie Lou Hamer, okay? Fannie well, Lou Hamer Townsend, born October 6, 1917 through March 14, 1977. Listen to a story. American voting and women's rights activist, a community organizer and leader in the civil rights movement. She was the vice chair of the Freedom Democratic Party, which she represented at the Democratic Convention. She was also recognized the Mississippi Freedom Summit along with Student Nonviolent Coordinating uh, Committee. She was also co founder of the National Women's Political Caucus, an organization created to recruit, train, and support women of all races who wish to seek election to government office. She started in the civil rights movement activism in 1962. Boy, was she dedicated. She went through police brutality racist attacks, and all kinds of things, but kept going. Let me just give you a few. When she began to register people to vote herself, she failed the literacy test, which meant that she was denied the right to vote. She came back 30 days later, failed it again. She told them then, I will keep coming back until I pass this literacy test. And she passed it the third time. She also would go out to get people to vote. And this is some of the attacks she faced. One time, after attempt to vote, she was fired by a boss. Her husband was required to stay on the land until the end of the harvest. 
but she moved between homes over the next several days for protection. On September 10, 1962, while staying with a friend, she was shot at 15 times in a drive-by shooting by racists in Mississippi. No one was injured. But the next day, the family was evacuated to Tallahatchie County for three months, fearing retaliation by the Ku Klux Klan for her attempt to vote. She moved from place to place. Second incident. On June 9, 1963, while she was returning from a voter registration workshop, traveling by bus with activists, she was stopped by the policemen in Mississippi, the Mississippi State Highway Patrolmen. They took out their billy clubs and eventually would beat her, throw her in a jail, strip her in front of five other men and beat her, and then had another prisoner beat her. But she wouldn't stop. Fannie Lou Hamer would come back and register to vote even after that, even though she lived with the injury from that beating until the day of her death. You cannot talk civil rights without mentioning Fannie Lou Hamer. Okay, Joelle, tell me, give me your thoughts. Fannie Lou Hamer. Yes. Well, my hats are off to Ms. Fannie Lou Hamer. She's a activist and a political organizer before its day. Uh, if you think about organizing and keeping the determination and the perseverance against everything, the physical attacks, the organizing, and she was fighting for a political party, fighting for the rights of our people. So I would say she was the beginning. If those would go back to her principles, we may be able to move forward in what we face today. So thank you. Heads off to Miss Fanny. Yes, thank you, Joelle. I'm gonna to come to Terry. Terry, give us your thoughts on Miss Fanny. Lou Hamer. I can't give her no hand claps. Hmm? Certainly not. I think that she just has an amazing countenance and steel spine. She has been through so much as you were touching on, but I don't know if many people in the audience knew that she also had a tumor. And upon removal of the tumor, she was given a hysterectomy that was involuntary. Um, So, you know, this is something that was standard at the time, the sterilization um, to help prune the black race during that time. Very common in Mississippi, but she was certainly not having it. As far as the voting, just mobilizing Mississippians to register to vote and get them to the polls. She was the Stacey Abrams in a time Mm. where Stacey Abrams didn't have the license or the support um, of democracy. And she was doing all of this in the face of Jim Crow. So you're talking about a a wife, a mother, an advocate for people of color who was just getting it done at the end of the day. And as Joelle said, hats off to Fannie Lou Hamer. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't leave Black History Month without Fannie Lou Hamer. Now, our woman of the month, athlete of the month, we've been talking about all um, aspects of her life, none other than champion Serena Williams. We talked about her uh, iconic matchups last week, but Serena, a fighter on the court, didn't come without some uh, controversies. She was accused, falsely, of fixing matches and, and was accused when she played a sister, Venus, at times that they were fixing matches in the beginning of the career. Um, we won't say the commentators who started spreading those rumors but she lived through it. And then there was Indian Wells boycott in 2001, the uh, Erickson Open, 
Richard Williams stated that the racist comments remained to him in the stands, and the tournament refused to offer an apology for how he was retreated. As a result, neither sister played in that tournament, even though it had become mandatory stop on the WTA tour since 2009. And then there's 2004. The quarterfinal match against Jennifer Cabriotti. An incorrect over was made by Sharon Pryor, Marina Alvarez, and the video review showed that William's shot landed in bounds. In that same match, the new technology being tested made incorrect calls late in the third set. Serena argued with the chair over a couple of calls in the match, but was not successful. And Cabriana, what? She won the match. And so Serena would speak up. And then there was a 2009 uh, semifinal round against Kim Kleister. We was given a racket abuse warning after losing the first set. She would often complain that these things were never, ever called against John McEnroe or any other male player. Serena would speak up for her own self often. And uh, she was a fighter and she was a champion. And uh, Dr. Soon to be Dr. Williams, tell us what you think about Serena Williams. Terry. I'm sorry, am I being called on to talk about Serena yes, Williams? Yes, about Serena I, Williams, our woman of the month. I apologize. You were going in and out, so I didn't hear my name. I apologize. Um, you know what's really funny is I was never a fan of tennis until Venus and Serena started playing. To be completely honest, my father tried to get me into tennis as a, as a child, and I just wasn't having it. But seeing those girls, seeing their father their family dynamic honestly mirrors a lot of what I experienced um, with my father being involved in my training um, and giving me guidance in the, you know, maybe not as sternly as Mr. Williams was giving guidance to Venus and Serena, but certainly heavily involved. And when I saw them, I honestly was just like relieved that there were other sports outside of basketball that, you know, female athletes of color could make a name in. And I was just so excited to see her. More importantly, I think watching her grow and expand into a businesswoman has been my favorite thing. Of course, you know, watching her, you know, her family grow, all of that is super exciting. But the moves that she's making as a businesswoman are just phenomenal. If you aren't aware, mm -hmm. she started a venture fund, an investment fund that I believe began with over, I think, $140 million. That was announced a mm -hmm. couple of years ago. So just super excited to see where her next stage of the career takes her as far as her investments and her growing portfolio. Yeah. All righty. Serena Williams, our woman of the month. Now, our Woman Executive of the Month, Nika Agwumike of the WNBA. She's the president of the WNBA Players Union. And she does several things we talked about this month. She negotiated a collective bargain agreement, and she also was part of the racial and gender report part. But the biggest thing that she'll be remembered for is that she stood up and led the players in many protests when uh, there were killings of young black men. And uh, the Jacobs Blake shooting, when he was shot seven times in the back by police in Kenosha, Wisconsin, it was this uh, woman came and the WNBA, she led that protest and that sat from the friction that had been generated between the WNBA and the league office, which were against protests about four years earlier. She's done so much, continues to be a role model, and continues to do it while she's being a great player in the WNBA. 
give us your thoughts on Nika Umike. Well, one of the things that you mentioned that really stands out, uh, not only about her, you know, just being an outstanding athlete and outstanding leader and, and push for the civil rights movement, but when the, the, the young man was killed in uh, Wisconsin, I didn't realize that she had done that. And I remember watching that on television, a replay of it. And here's a young man that's walking away from the police. Yeah. He is not a threat to anyone walking away from him. And he's shot in the back seven times. But, and, and, we, and, and the thing about it, we're supposed to take it. You know, we're, su we're supposed to be okay with it. No, it's not okay. And, and, we're, and I'm tired of it happening all the time. But I'm just glad that she's strong. She's standing up. She doesn't care what people think about it because she's doing what is right. And we need more people like her to stand up and do the right thing. Yeah. And, and I'm, just proud, uh, I'm just proud of her. And her sister, and her sister, both. Yes. Outstanding. And yeah, outstanding. Both of, both of them. Yep. Yeah. Stanford grad. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's that time of year, March Madness. So we're going to keep up with everything thoroughly um, from the NIA. They will have a national tournament of 48 teams. And then Divisions 3, 2, and 1 <clears throat> will begin uh, their March Madness as they play for National Basketball title. Now, before we get started, I'm going to ask you a few words. Uh, we all have played sports, but on this line, we do have Terry Williams, who played in the women's NCAA tournament, even went to the Sweet 16. Terry, what's it like to play in the actual, make it through your conference, and play in the actual March Madness? Terry? There's really no way to really... Um communicate just the energy that you have it's the undercurrent of possibility um but also mixing that with knowing the task that is at hand and the execution and the level of execution you're going to have to get to in order to advance for me i just i just completely felt charged i i, I yeah. don't have any other words to describe <laughs> it but the entire time that we were in the tournament there was just like this undercurrent of you know the possibility of a huge step forward for the virginia tech women's basketball athletic program and i was just holding on to that possibility like <laughs> nothing i've ever held on to before <laughs> that's the truth yeah march of madness is something special all right so here we go <laughs> Uh, we want to welcome our 11 engaged listeners, as well as those in the chat box, seven or eight. Now, starting this week, um, NAIA and Division II CIAA tournaments are both starting. CIAA is already starting, and the Gulf Coast starts in a day or so, and they'll have the champions. And then next week, the other Division II HBCU conference, the SIAC, will have their tournament. So tonight, we want to thoroughly go through the regular season records, and then we'll go through the tournament standings. Here we are for the women. Um, they finished, and this is their conference records only, eight and two. 
Virginia State, seven and three. Virginia Union, five and five. Bluefield State, four and six. Lincoln PA, four and six. Bowie State, two and eight. Now that's in the Northern Division. In the Southern Division, you have Fayetteville State, eleven and one. Clapton, nine and three. Johnson C. Smith, seven and five. St. Augustine, five and seven. Shaw, four and eight. Livingston, four and eight. And you have Winston Salem State at two and ten. Now, as we have said, your tournament has started. Okay, so. Today, or yesterday, opening round, you had Winston-Salem State already beat Bowie State. They will play Johnson C. Smith in the next opening round. Also on February 27th, St. Augustine will play Lincoln. Virginia Union will play Shaw. And Blue Woodfield State will play Livingston. Those teams who had an automatic buy to the quarterfinals were Elizabeth City State and also Fayetteville State. The finals will be on Saturday in Baltimore, and that you have it right there for the CIAA Women's Division matchups. Now, let's go to the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference in the Women's Division, and we will have um, Joelle and Jim and myself will actually be covering that as part of the press this week. Rust Women finished 17-1 in conference uh, play. They're the number one seed, Philander Smith, 15 and three, but they are the number two seed, Fisk University, 15 and three, number three seed. And then you have Dillard, 11 and seven, Oakwood, 7 and 11, Talladega, 6 and 10, Wally, 6 and 12, Tugaloo, 6 and 12, Virgin Islands, 3 and 13, and Southern University at New Orleans. Okay. They are the teams that, 10 teams that are matching up in the women's division of the tournament. Now, here's how they match up, okay? In the first round, you have Tugaloo playing the University of Virgin Islands. That's on February 28th. And then you have the winner of that game going on the quarterfinals to play Rush University. Also, the other quarterfinals in that same side of the bracket will be Fisk playing against Talladega, okay? And those games will take place on February the 29th. Now, on the other side of the bracket in the women's playing game, you have Wiley College playing against Southern University of New Orleans on the 28th. The winner will play the number two seed for Landis Smith College. And the other quarterfinal game will be Dillard matched up against Oakwood. So there you have the women. They're ready to rumble down there at Stillman College for the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. The winner of that tournament has an automatic bid to the NAIA national tournament we'll take a break and then we're going to come back with the men in just a second all righty Welcome back, Dr. Cliff Burton Friends, featuring the absolute very best in all the women's sports in HBCU athletics. Joelle, let's give us just the conference records for the men, for the CIAA, and for the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference. Joelle. The CIAA for the men's basketball standing we have in the Northern Division, we have Lincoln with a 10 and 7, Virginia Union with an 8 9. Virginia State with an 8-9, Elizabeth, 
Elizabeth City State with a 7-10, Bowie State with a 6-11, and 11, Bluefield State with a 4-13. and 13. In the Southern Division, we have Kaplan in first with a 13-5, and 5, Fayetteville State with 11-7, and 7, Winston-Salem in third with a 13 and 5, Johnson C. Smith with a 9 and 9, Shaw with a 9 and 9, Livingston with an 8 and 10, and St. Augustine with an 8 and 10. Also, um, Cliff, did you say SIAC as well for the no, men's just standing? The Gulf Coast, just the Gulf Coast. Okay, and with just the Gulf Coast rounding up, in the men's standing, we have on the men's side with Tugaloo's Bulldog repeated as G Gulf Coast GCAC regular season champions and look to defend their title, capping off with a 15 and 3 season in GCAC. The Bulldogs solidified the number one seed and would take on the winner of game two between number eight and Virgin Islands. Let's see. Uh, number eight is Virgin Islands, eight and ten, and number nine is Blue Dillard Blue Devils with a seven and ten. In the standing for the men's tournament scene, we again I repeat, two glue is in number one, two is Philander Smith University, three Talladega College, fifth in fourth, Wiley University in fifth, sixth, Russ College, seventh. Southern University at New Orleans, 8th University of Virgin Islands, 9th Dillard University, and 10th Oakland University. Wishing all the teams outstanding and do your best for this tournament coming this weekend. Thank you. All righty. Thank you so much, Joelle. So now, this is the way we're going to match it up. And the men open it round with the CIAA tournament. St. Augustine plays Bluefield State. They play on February 26th. Uh, the St. Aug, I believe, won that game. They're going to play Winston-Salem State in the next round. You have Bowie State against Livingston. The winner will play Fayetteville State. You have Shaw versus Elizabeth City State. The winner will play Lincoln, PA. And you also have Virginia State playing Johnson C. Smith. Those quarterfinal rounds will be played on February 28th. On February 29th, you have Claflin University will play the winner of the Johnson C. Smith-Virginia State game. You also have Virginia Union will play the winner between Winston-Salem State and the winner of St. and Bluefield State. These games, CIAA, be played if you watch the ESPN Plus, the championship on Saturday, Gulf Coast Athletic Conference championship games can be found on HBCU Plus. So you can catch all the action this week, March Madness for sure. Now, we want to give everybody the feel for where we're going because we're going to keep up with this basketball all the way through the national tournaments. The NAIA, the women, these are your top 10 teams right now if we had them ranked in the coaches' poll. Dort out of Iowa, 23-1. Marion out of Indiana, 23-1. Campbellsville out of Kentucky, 22-1. Indiana Wesleyan, 22-2. Clark out of Iowa, 23-1. Lewis Clark out of Idaho, 21-2. Concordia, out of Nebraska, 20 and 4. Carroll, out of Montana, 19 and 4. Vanguard, out of California, 16 and 4. Dakota State, 21 and 5. And Georgetown, out of Kentucky, they are 21 and 4. So these are the powerhouses now that are found in the NAIA. 
Let me give you one more. And we're going to go to Division Two. Women, these are your top 10. Ashland, the defending champions, they're ranked number one in the country, 25 and 1. Grand Valley State, 23 and 2. Southern Nazareth, 25 and 1. Uh, Minnesota Mankato, 23 and 5. Missouri Western, 21 and 4. Fort Hayes State, 21 and 6. Missouri Southern, 19 and 7. Pittsburgh State, 20 and 6. Union out of Tennessee, 26 and 2. And Central Missouri is 19 and 7. That's Division 2. We're going to bring you Division 3 next week, okay? March Madness is going on at every level. We'll also go more into the men's top national rank, NAIA, and Division II and Division Three next week because we want to get the full picture for March Madness. Now, let me give you a little bit more. We want to congratulate the switching gears right now. Norfolk State men and Howell University's women's indoor track and field team won their meet last week and they have each won their third consecutive indoor track and field championships in the MEAC, and they're going to go to the indoor nationals coming up in about a week. So we want to congratulate them. We don't want to lose. We don't want to lose track of our track and field, even though we're in the middle of March Madness. Terry, give me a little. Insight. I know you love track and field, but just you know, we seem to forget about our, our track and field action, indoor season. Tell us what you think about the track and field and the great sport it is, indoor leading the outdoor? Oh, my gosh. That's a loaded question. I never ran indoor, but, mm -hmm. I mean, who wasn't running to the television set <laughs> to watch the outdoor <laughs> speed races, the 100, yeah. the 200, even the relays, right? There's just something magical about watching them pause at the starting line and waiting for the gun to go off so that they can start the race and then seeing their athleticism and power just you know course them down the runway to the finish line it's just electric i never really understood the translation between outdoor to indoor with that smaller track and those tighter turns i just mm -hmm. couldn't think of how that you know could relate and i also never did it so it was always something that you know i just <laughs> kept in my mind but it's just an amazing sport um the field events i i always wanted to try to throw javelin i always wanted to try to do the pole vault, <laughs> pole vault. there's just some things that you just shouldn't do i gather but i mean it's just gathering a little bit more steam, but I really honestly feel like we're losing a little bit of traction with the popularity of the track and field athletes at large. Now the world has their favorites, Shakari Richardson, <laughs> pardon me, the Jamaicans, obviously, but like, I feel selfishly and also in a, in a kind of, you know, selfish way that women's basketball and NCAA basketball in general, the women's in particular is really blowing up such that it mutes a yeah. lot of what has been happening in any case. That said, I mean, track is never going away. It's here to stay. I will say um, I was devastated to hear of the marathon runner who um, was hit and who passed away due to a car yeah. crash. Um, you know, he had just set a world record, was looking mm. forward to seeing if he would be able to break more, but alas, um, he is lost now. So just condolences to his family, his friends and his fans. And yeah, it's, it's a yeah. rough life. 
Yeah, thank you so much, Terry. Condolences. Also, uh, Steve, I want you to talk a little bit on track and field because this year, as we know, is very important. And some of these athletes that emerge, we're going to the Olympics. So someone emerged that we didn't know about from indoor and outdoor track and field season headed to the Olympics. But Steve, just the value of track and field, even though it looked a lot, especially indoor. You, did you say in, you, you, you were breaking up? Did you say indoor? Yeah, even though indoor is overlooked a lot, the value of an athlete doing track and field, especially if he's a football player. Uh, you know what? I uh, I like to catch the indoor on on TV a lot because it's. I mean, it's something. But I don't know Terry and Joel Cliff. I don't know if you saw this, and I don't know when it was, but. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's last year, this year. Did you all happen to see uh, Tyreek Hill one run to 60 indoor? No, I didn't see that. Uh-oh. It looked like he had been shot out of something. <laughs> it was it was, it was, was the most incredible thing I had ever seen. I mean, it was, it was almost a joke how fast he was. But to see the indoor, uh, I like to, to, to watch it when I catch it. I will watch it because like, uh, Terry was saying, those speed races, uh, you just, you just love to see them. So I don't get to watch much of it, you know, outdoor, uh, like Terry was saying, I, I will watch, but, uh, it's something to be said about the indoor. And I think I'm going to pay more attention to it now, especially after seeing that 60 yard day. <laughs> All right. See, thanks so much. All righty. Well, the NFL Combines are coming up this week. We're going to go to a break, and then we're going to come right back, and we'll talk a little bit about the NFL Combines, things going on in HBCU football with Jackson State selling the law suit, and in gymnastics, Wilbur Force University is the third HBCU to have a what? Gymnastics team. Now, Pamela Rubinay, qualifying broker, founder, CEO, 2870 Peachtree Road, Suite 992, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's Pamela at prenaeestates.com. 404-964-4294. If you're looking residential, commercial, land, builder, developer, or investor services, that's P. Renee. We'll be right back. Burton friends and the absolute very best in all the women's sports and HBC athletics. We want to welcome our 14 engaged listeners who have joined us on the line. You know, the eight that are in the chat room is counting. And uh, we want to turn our attention now to something going on this week as well. And that is the NFL 
combines are coming up, and uh, we like to talk about HBCU prospects in the combine. A lot of times, though, uh, HBCU prospects don't get drafted, but they make the team as, as a free agent, kick off punts, and eventually they turn into a star. But people ask, who are the stars that's going to get drafted this year? Well, they're ranked from the HBCU, so let's go over a few of them. Mickey Victor, he's a defensive back out of Alabama State, 6'2", 212 pounds, and he played in the Hula Bowl, East-West Shrine Bowl, and he did exceptionally well. He combines great speed, size, as well as a position, and more than held his own in the one-on-one versus the upper-level competition. And then there's Sundiata Anderson. He's a defensive lineman from Grambling State University. This 6'3", 249-pounder is another postseason stud who really stood out at the East-West Shrine Bowl. What immediately jumped out to the scouts was athleticism and doing those individual drills and move fluently as if he was even a tight end, even though he was a defensive lineman. Number third, David Richard. He's a tremendous quarterback. Often he was overlooked or overshadowed by Shadur Sanders in the SWAT, but he led North Carolina Central in the MEAC. He got hurt, though, in the ACC Legacy Bowl as he ran in the touchdown in the postseason. But he said to be coming out of New Orleans and that things are doing fine. He's healing up, and he's going back to light workouts this week. He's expected to have a good shot of making someone else's roster. And then out of Alcorn State, Javier Howard, the running back, 5'10", 15 pounds, one of the more impressive tailbacks in the SWAC during his career. The scouts were familiar with his game, and based on just that alone, they think he has a very good shot of making an NFL team, even if it's running back punts, or specialty positions such as that. Then there's Noah Washington, a a linebacker, defensive end at a Morgan State. 6'4", 275, great versatility to the table he brings. And as a defensive lineman, he has the capability of playing any technique up front and plays them well. He was well coached at Morgan State, and coming down to the HBC Legacy Bowl was a great chance to see him in an unfamiliar setting. They think he has a great chance to make an NFL roster as a draft Steve, I'm going to give give me your opinions, and I'm coming to Joel next, about these HBCU prospects and how they are um, representing the HBCUs and their chances in the combines coming up. Like you said, they might not get drafted, but it's also not a bad thing because you you can about go where you think you're going to fit. And it goes to show you if you can play, they're going to find you if you can play and there's always a lot of diamonds in the rough at our hbcu schools there are a lot of them and just uh like you said shadur sanders he, he overshadowed this other kid from central but there are going to be players that are going to make it out of there like um ryan clark uh from espn yeah. uh was undrafted yeah uh, i don't know i can't remember where he get, went to school but he was undrafted and he had about yeah. 12 year career so you can make a way and make a life for yourself. And like you said about the guy that maybe getting in the league as a specialist, running back punts, hey, that's a job. And you never know where that'll go. You know, so I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Joel, I want you to give me your opinion on uh, HBCU, the combines. There was also one held at an HBCU school as well. But uh, your thoughts on the HBCU football players, big move for a lot of them, big time coming up the NFL combines in about a week or so. Joel? 
Oh, yes, absolutely. To my shock, I was out with uh, actually my brother and uncle. We were sitting in a sports bar and looked on the TV, and ESPN was holding the HBCU Combine of 2024. We were so amazed. The entire <laughs> restaurant <laughs> mouth was open, and it was so exciting to see the agility, the speed. They were not missing a beat. And so my hat's off to where HBCUs are going, and that lets you know you caught that in prime time in the middle of the day it was going on in not in our regular neighborhood let's let me say that but everybody was looking and tuning in because we know the draft and how they're picking and you have a chance they are looking at the hbcu players and the achievements that they made according to speed uh their attempt a record uh catches Everything they've done, their win-loss rate, all of that, they are taking that into consideration now, not just the big schools. So my yeah. hat's off. Thank you so much. And I'm going to come to Terry on this. You know, in the last year, two, maybe three, now in the fall, it is very common to look on even some of the main channels and see an HBC football game. How much do you think that's going to play uh, into getting those players into the NFL? Because a lot of the uh, scouts have already seen them playing on TV, just like our big power conferences. Terry? That's a really great question. I think it depends on the traction that HBCU's, uh, HBCU football gains right now. Remember, I'm the product of an HBCU football player. My father played at North Carolina Central University. All right. and he himself right. was drafted to the Atlanta Falcons. All right, man. So he, while he didn't make the team, that is something that he was able to achieve. So going back to the traction piece, I'm really curious as to how many voices remain as coaching staff that are of interest to draw that type of media attention um, to give these athletes a chance, right? So mm -hmm. Deion Sanders leaving was a huge, huge hit to that effect. So I'm really curious um, how the other leaders of the different programs are gonna step up to close that gap and how the, HBUC, the HBCU programs themselves plan on leveraging what they have in-house in order to keep the attention that Dion brought. That said, um, all attention is good attention, just like a lot of people mm -hmm. say, all press is good press. Anything that those athletes can do, any local NIL deals, any statewide NIL deals, hopefully nationally that they can gain, is going to just continue to bring that attention to the program, to the conference, and um, and and those lucrative media deals. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you so much. Great point. Great point. Okay. Speaking of Deion Sanders, uh, when he was at Jackson State, he often said that the HBCUs, uh, some of the games we were playing against each other, were losing money. He spoke loudly about one of the games, the Heritage Classic. It was a game that went on for 25, 26 years in Memphis between Tennessee State and Jackson State. It was one of the largest HBCU Classic, as it drew about 47,000 people per year. However, Jackson State just had to settle a lawsuit because Jackson State pulled out of the five-year contract, which started in 2019, I believe. They pulled out two years early 
Deion Sanders said, by the time we take the four buses for the team and seven buses for the band and all the administrators' hotels, we go back home broke. So they pulled out of that, and Jackson State is being sued by Summit Management Corporation for breach of contract. And also, the SWAC was sued because Jackson State played in a classic in the SWAC thereafter. So this has turned, we were wondering how it was going to turn out. Jackson State just settled. Uh, and I want to get your thoughts on that, Steve, about this Heritage Classic. Uh, everyone has said from the SWAC um, and the management team that there will not be another uh, restarted of that great game. But your thoughts, Steve, on just the the, uh, the pulling out of that classic for financial reasons by Jackson State and, and the effect. Dion was right. And uh, it makes no sense. that You're basically hustling backwards. You're not making any money. You're losing money. I mean, it, it just makes no sense. Dion was right. And he also talked about all the tickets are sold at their games, and all of a sudden you're 30,000 uh, people less than than what was there. So it's just so much that goes on, and he called a spade a spade. Yeah. And so I think a lot of our HBCUs, Need to take a look at that as far, especially as far as money. What what are you making? You know, what are you making? You are you making it? Are you you're hustling backwards. You're losing money. You're losing money. Who's winning is whoever's renting that stadium out that night. That's who's winning. <laughs> yeah, Joel, give us your thoughts on that. Great point, Steve. Joel. Yes, yes. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, yeah, I, this affected me a little bit personal because I went down to Memphis when they had Jackson State playing TSU. And we enjoyed, I was there at the last classic. And as far as the people that came from Mississippi and those of us that were there from Tennessee, we enjoyed the union together, you know, tailgating, uh, the vending, everything that came with it, the two cultures that came together to celebrate in memphis however they were playing at a university of memphis stadium which meant that some kind of way we were losing out financially and jackson state dion pulled out of it and let us know that would be the last year that was going to happen because of that i understand the economics and i hope it works for the best of all of us in some kind of way because we see the elevation happening but i will say it did feel some kind of hurt between us that have gone for years and celebrated the tennessee and mississippi blend and us coming together to you know we turn into a blues fest of football everything so i will say i hope at the end of the day it does help our HBCUs, and we can get on this same platform as some of these others, especially while they're discussing allowing these players to be able to receive financially uh, part of what's given to that university. So it, I believe it's all tied in, and we just keep fighting and standing up as activists for all that's right. So, all righty, thank you, Joel. You know, Benita. In Music City says that Dion shined a huge light on that situation. Uh, she's in the chat box there, and uh, Jim is in the chat box with us tonight. And he talks about how uh, some of our, our, our PWIs we get a lot of money to play these games, but when the HBCU play a money game or they play each other, we lose a lot of money. So 
maybe we have to look at how to expand our own stadiums on our own campuses to hold those capacity crowds and keeping the money at home. Jim says the city of Memphis makes millions. Uh, they could kick some of that money back. Well, I don't know if Memphis is going to give it back. I want to hear from uh, Terry Williams. She's also a businesswoman and a scientist. What's your thoughts on this, Terry? I'm not sure I have too too much <laughs> thought on that. To be honest with you, I I can see that this is you know beyond me. Um, I haven't really been following the story too closely, to be honest with you. But yeah, yeah I, I mean, obviously, it's a tough call, right? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Thank you, Terry. All right. We want to say thank you. We have 42 engaged listeners and counting. Numbers going up. And uh, we have one more we want to talk about before we go to break. And now there is a third historically Black college and university. They will start in 2026, a gymnastics team. And that's Wilberforce. Wilberforce University out of Ohio. And the president is Dr. Uh, Van Newkirk. He was the former president at Fisk University who also helped start the gymnastics team and brought it to Fisk. So Dr. Van Newkirk is to be applauded. He has brought two out of the three gymnastics programs to HBCU uh, universities. Joelle, give us your thoughts. Joelle? Yes, I'm I'm here. I'm here. Could you repeat that one more give time? Give us your thoughts on Dr. Van Newkirk bringing gymnastics to uh, Wilberforce. This is his second HBCU that he's brought gymnastics, the former president of Fisk University. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thank you. I'm so glad. This just gymnastics that caught on. First with Coach Tarver over at Fisk University, and then she brought a total of a panel, I think, of six that they were coming out. And now what he's doing, they are building. They are visionaries. And now our students, our players have an avenue to go in a whole sport that they can dominate and show their talents in. We are showing as athletic, collegiate athletes, we are showing our true talents and how we are just leading in all of these sports, volleyball, basketball, uh, we're about to show track and field. We have other sports, tennis, uh, uh, all sort of sports that we're showing here and highlighting. And my hats are off to him. I'm going to watch him, Coach Tyver and the West of them take us, and hopefully they'll put those games as well on the TV. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. and this is the um, it's an NAI school as well. They're joining the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference next year. So the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference, having Fisk, Talladega, and then Wilberforce, will have all three HBCU gymnastic programs in the same conference. So Dr. Kiki Baker-Barnes is, again, the commissioner, setting records. She has another one to put under her hat. We're going to take a commercial, and we're coming right back. He's going to go into legendary Barnett, a candidate for the Hall of Fame. Let's see, bring us up on collegiate men's basketball and also the NBA. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. Dr. Cliff Burton, friends, featuring the absolute very best in all of women's sports and HBCU athletics. We want to welcome our 37 engaged listeners who are now on the line, another 12 in the chat. And uh, Steve, let's take us away. All right. The top 10 in college basketball this week. But before that, Mississippi Valley won their first game of the year last night. They beat Prairie <laughs> by four. And uh, I, was, I was happy for them. They're, they're one in 27. And uh, I, mean, I, was, I was glad for them. Yeah. Um, number one, we have a new number one this week. And, they've been, and they're number one for the first time this year, too, is University of Houston at 24 and three. They're playing well. Purdue is two, number two at 25 and three. UConn is number three at 25 and three. Tennessee is four, Marquette five, Arizona six, Kansas seven, Iowa State eight, North Carolina nine, and Duke 10. And all of them from four through 10 have a record of 21 and six. Wow. We, we had a court storming incident at uh, Wake Forest the other day. They beat Duke. They stormed the court, and Duke star player uh, uh, Filipowski got his ankle clipped, and uh, he's still hobbled. I don't know, Cal Filipowski. I don't know if he will play their next game. Uh, the coach is not sure, uh, but uh, that, that it wasn't the lick that Caitlin Clark received. Caitlin Clark really got plowed into but it was bad enough. I mean, he's a seven-footer. You got all these little people running around, and he got that ankle clip. Uh, mm. North Carolina beat Miami last night, and R.J. Davis put up 42 points for North Carolina. Miami is missing a couple of starters. They were already had a thin bench, but I watched them play, and they might give some teams some trouble because he's finding some people he's going to have to use. So... And that's that's where we are now. Now in the top ten. Now moving on, let's talk about Richard Dick Barnett. Yeah. They called him Skull out of Gary, Indiana. Born in 1936, he is 87 years old right now. He was a six-four shooting guard from Tennessee State University. At that time, it was Tennessee A and I. He was on those three. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, he was on those three NAIA championship teams uh, uh, from 1957 to 1959, coached by the great John McClendon. He is Tennessee State's all-time leading scorer with 3,209 points. And he also had 1,507 points. Uh, 571 rebounds. He had a, he had a 11.5 rebound average wow. in his career. Uh, he uh, he was a first round pick in 1959. He was the fourth overall pick. He was selected by the Syracuse Nationals. He then went on to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, and then he went to play for the New York Knicks and Red Holtzman, where he was on two uh, championship teams with the Knicks in 1970 and 1973. Mm -hmm. He also played with the Cleveland Pipers in the ABA. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. He had a career from 1959 to 1973. He was an all-star in 1968. He scored 15,358 points in his career in the NBA, which gave him a 15.8 career average. Uh, he was inducted in 1986 in the NAIA Hall of Fame. He, uh, he, he, he received his Ph.D. from Fordham University. Mm -hmm. He ended his uh, career at uh, St. John's when he was teaching, I believe, with sports management. But he was famous. He was left-handed. He was famous when he shot the ball. He folded his legs. He was a left-hander. <laughs> he folded his legs up under him and shot, and he, he, he basically almost shot when he was coming down. <laughs> I mean, it was so unorthodox, but he made it, and he had some famous sayings when he shot, like, too late and foul back, baby. And mm -hmm. he's a finalist uh, this year, of course, for the NBA Hall of Fame, the 2024 class. He's in the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, of course. But uh, uh, my father actually, in the summertime, would play against Skull in uh, pickup games, you know, the Fist players and the Tennessee State players. And uh, I remember my father telling me, he said, uh, you know, he didn't really score on me. I said, come on, Dad. He said, no. And what he said to me made sense. He said, all you have to do is guard him and don't talk. He said, because <laughs> if you're not talking to him, he's not going to be motivated. He's just going to play ordinary. He said, but if you talk to him, he's going to kill you. He said, mm. so he just kept his mouth shut and guarded him. So he was uh, he was an amazing guy. He was here last year. Uh, they were honoring a lot of the Tennessee State uh players and uh and and he was here and uh he seems to be doing well 87 years old uh, uh and he was uh he was in a wheelchair i don't know if he's wheelchair bound but he was in a wheelchair but uh that's my man uh uh dick barnett skull yeah yeah, yeah yeah so steve i know you're getting ready to do the nba but back when he played with the knicks in the 70s and they won the championships he's hbcu and then his Earl the Pearl comes along and joins the Knicks from Winston-Salem State. Now, we were kids. How many of us knew, or I didn't, that these two HBCU players, along with Walt Frazier, Senator Bradley, and Dave DeBusher, and the third one, the captain, Willis Reed, was from Grambling, that HBCU yeah. was influencing the NBA champions that much in the 70s, you know? Mm -hmm. Nobody nobody would have ever thought it. Nobody yeah. ever would have thought it. And you're talking about Earl the Pearl, or as they, uh, as they know him at Winston-Salem, uh, uh, Black Jesus. And uh, <laughs> uh, he would be, uh, I mean, Buckets. Yeah, Buckets, yeah. Buckets, a friend of mine who passed away a few years ago, uh, came up in that era, and he actually went to the same school that uh, Terry's father went to, uh, went to North Carolina Central. And he, was, he said he would uh, go and watch uh, the Pearl play Black Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> he was something. NBA. NBA. Uh, yeah. Well, the New Orleans uh, Pelicans and the Miami Heat had a, a brawl. It was 
it was a brawl, but it wasn't like, you know, what like the malice in the palace when they were yeah. throwing hands. But it, it was a foul. Uh, Kevin Love fouled Zion Williamson going up for a shot. And it wasn't really that bad. And Zion Williamson actually said that Kevin Love was trying to protect him on the foul. But, you know, it went back and forth. And uh, so you had several players from both teams get suspended and uh, – and you know, uh, it, it, you know how it, you know how it is when they yeah. when they yeah. get started. So, but uh, uh, Larry Bird had made a statement uh, this week, and I was glad he said it. He was talking about how great LeBron was, and how we ought to enjoy him because we don't know how long much longer he's going to play. And I was glad to hear him say that because. Uh, at 39 years old and to still be at the top of your game, it's, it's incredible, Cliff. You're right. It's yeah, incredible. Yeah. Let's, bring it's Terry, incredible. let's bring Terry on that, Steve, and we're going to come right back. Terry, give us your thoughts on LeBron James at 39, doing what he's doing. Terry? Listen, uh, I have a different perspective. You know, Europeans, this is nothing for Europeans. In Euroball, you're playing maybe out to 45. Europeans really? take care of their athletes. They know what it means to rest. They know what it means to stretch and do all those things that your PTs tell you all the time. They take care of themselves. When I went over there, it was completely different. I always wanted to wrap my knee up, put you know an ankle brace on and get back on the court. And my coach was just like, no, no, no. It's not about you know, getting you on the court now for quantity, we want quality out of you. Take those extra hours or days to heal up so we did, so that we can get you back on the court at a time when you're not going to re-injure yourself or exacerbate your condition. It's a completely different mentality, but it's a mentality that a lot of athletes are starting to adopt because they want those long-term gains uh, playing wow. in the NBA for the long period of time, right? LeBron is famous for his, uh, de not dedication, but his um, what's the Me word I'm looking for? Discipline. The mm -hmm. discipline that he has in his approach to the game, making sure that he stayed in shape. How many times did he have to go back on a diet once they told him that he was getting too heavy? Do you remember that? It was around mm -hmm. 2014, 2015 when they were like, Ron, you're getting too heavy. He was also prone to injuries. You haven't seen that since. This mind that he's got in the front of his brain is like, it's literally a machine. He is operating at the highest level simply because of that discipline aspect. Now to the operating at the highest level, I don't know if I would say the highest level. I respect LeBron 100% for what he's been able to achieve not the least being as old as he is in the league where is he though when we're talking about um being at the top of his game is he at the top of his game is he just a you know still standing out amongst the players that are in the league right now what would he who would win in a one-on-one -on -one matchup lebron now or lebron seven years ago and i'm not saying because of the the athleticism or the youth right because when you're a seasoned player you learn new moves. You learn different things. You know what I'm saying? And so he's got that mm -hmm. that maturity to him now. But I don't I don't know if he's better now or then. I can't really, you know, answer that question personally. Um, but I, I do think that he gets a lot of shots up for <laughs> the Lakers. So, you know, that those are the things that I'm looking at. Thanks so much. And for our, our listening audience, I'm not aware Terry's a scientist now, but she also played professional basketball overseas when she left Virginia Tech 
after being drafted to the WNBA draft. Steve, a few more minutes on the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just want to say Terry made a good point and uh, uh, about LeBron. And I think that happened, uh, Terry, when he went to Miami about that weight, 2014-2015, and he changed everything. And I think uh, being there with Pat Riley and that, 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 that made a big difference in that. Uh, Steve Kerr signed a two-year, $35 million deal, which will make him the highest-paid coach in the NBA. They're right. also getting Chris Paul back tonight. He's determined to play tonight. And just as he's coming back, Trey Young from, from the Atlanta Hawks is going to be out a month. He broke, uh, I, think, I think it was his mm-hmm. non-shooting hand. And he had surgery, I think, this morning. Then we had a little... Uh, controversy uh the milwaukee bucks are five and seven uh since uh doc rivers took over and jj reddick was on uh espn and i don't know if you all heard it but you know i heard it and listened to it and a lot of people uh were critical and uh and uh, uh doc's son austin yeah and, you know, he came in and defended his, his dad against J.J. Reddick. And, you know, the only thing I can really say about that is that J.J. Reddick was right. Mm-hmm. He was right. Mm-hmm. He, he, he was right because I looked at the things that, I hap- that happened when he was in Philadelphia and he was talking about when they were playing down and how good a coach he was and nobody expected him to be that far. I mean, yes, you did. You got Joel Embiid. Yes, we did. And then with the Clippers, and they said, and then him talking about Austin was talking about that JJ had his best years with the with the Clippers under his dad, and he did. So what is that saying to you? If he's having his best years, and he's still critical, what is that saying to you? <laughs> and I've been watching him for years. Matt Barnes, Matt Barnes told a story about him, and it's par for the course. I've watched it. You know, I'm a junkie, a basketball junkie. I've watched it. And the Milwaukee Bucks, they're not going to the finals now. You know, <laughs> they're not going to the finals now. And I'm not saying that Griffin was a uh, – uh, it was wrong to get rid of him because it wasn't going to work. They were having too many, too, much, too, many, and too, much, too many internal conflicts. So it wasn't yeah. going to work. I just would have hired somebody else. Okay. I, the, 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 I, hey, I'm free. Hey. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Steve. We're going to keep, keep up with this. Uh, we got uh, two more months. Great job as usual. Two more months. Um, and uh, so the NCAA tournament ends and all heats up. Really heats up with the NBA. But the teams are set now. Trade deadlines are over. And I think uh, it's going to get interesting going down this stretch. Listen, next, thank you for a great job, Steve, again, always. Um, next week, we have a special guest which is uh, Coach Shade Swan. She's the women's head coach at Bowie State University. Unfortunately, her team lost. They're already out of the CIAA tournament. They're an up-and-coming program in the CIAA. She's going to give us a lot of insight. We look forward to that. And then we'll start transitioning over into our spring sports. We're reaching out to some track and field coaches, some softball coaches, and uh, we're just looking forward to having a great time. Listen. We hit our milestone. We're over 2,000 downloads. Continue to spread the word. Our website, clippingbutts.podbean.com.
www.thebrandingcoach.com. Continue to spread the word uh, to 52 engaged listeners now online. Thank you so much. Continue to spread the word. Another 12 in the chat box. And for those who are downloading our shows now in 38 states and eight foreign countries, we want to say thank you. We will see everybody back. Great show. And we'll see you back in 168 hours from now. Thank you so much. Good Black History Month, everybody.